Welcome to Work Everywhere, a podcast brought to you by Allware, the company that equips teams with everything they need to work from anywhere. I'm your host, Ben Kessler, Chief Growth Officer, and my co-host today is Veronica Kelman, Content Marketing Lead. Today, we're joined by Daniel Space, also known as Dan from HR, as you may know him from TikTok, where he has an audience of almost 160,000 followers. Dan has held HR leadership roles at companies like Spotify, Electronic Arts, and WebMD, and presently works as an HR consultant and strategist, in addition to providing his viewpoint on all things HR on his TikTok, LinkedIn, and newsletter. Dan's many followers rely on him for advice on topics like job seeking and salary negotiation, and his combination of candor and reputable knowledge is refreshing in an area of content that's saturated with conflicting viewpoints. In today's conversation, we chat through his advice for young HR hopefuls, what HR and people teams are getting wrong in today's climate, where those who have fallen victim to tech layoffs should be looking for their next role, and his predictions for the next big thing in the future of work. Hello, Dan. Thank you so much for coming on today. We're so excited to have you. I know you a little bit because we worked together on an influencer partnership at the tail end of last year, which has been one of our best performing social videos so far. So it was really great to have you partner with us on that. But for our audience who may or may not already be following you, can you just briefly introduce yourself, please? Of course. And by the way, it was one of my favorite uh, pieces of content to work for. So thank you. So my name is Daniel. I have worked in HR for now going on 20 years, uh, primarily within the business partner space. And then in 2020, in a dark basement in Queens, I just started to start making content on TikTok. And unbeknownst to me, it became very, very successful to such a degree where all of a sudden I had 150,000 followers and was being reached out by lovely companies like you to do brand partnerships with. Very, very cool. Yeah. I mean, we obviously found you from TikTok. I think that I started following you sometime during the pandemic. And then when I was job searching at one point, right before I found my role at Allware last year, your content was so incredibly helpful for me as it has been for literally hundreds of thousands of people. So yeah, we love you and we love your TikToks. Oh, thank you so much. We set you up really good there. (laughs) I feel so touched. Thank you. (laughs) I definitely want to kind of get into that a bit more, especially sort of the, the TikTok piece. But you did that quick intro. Could you share your career journey to date, like how you got to where you are kind of through your career and where that's led you? And then maybe we'll continue and we'll talk about the, you know, want to dig deeper into the TikTok piece and how that Like I get the being in the basement thing. I get the like getting in front of a camera wanting to talk to people, but maybe we can dig into like how that came to be. But just tell us a little bit more about your career journey, how you ended up to where you are today. Yeah, of course. So I graduated in 2002 with a very, very, very powerful degree in classical music saxophone performance, which is obviously a very, very hot labor market. Everyone was knocking down my door. And so I I think like many college graduates left with a degree and without any direction of what to do next. Um, So I went on 57 job interviews for a variety of assistant coordinator type of positions. HR just happened to be the first one to hire me. I was doing leave of absence administration for American Express. And that's what kind of introduced me into benefits. So I did that for a few years. And then I really realized this was around the time where being in the right place at the right time where all of these companies and leaders were starting to understand the real value of HR, because if people were going to be the most important part of your company, you needed to have people who knew how to instill strategies on how to best optimize, build, design, reward, pay, compensate, and develop them. 
So I went and got my master's in HR. At that point, then I became an HR manager, went down that path through WebMD is where I considered my big transformation. That's where I went from like an HR generalist manager to an HR business partner. From there, I was recruited to Electronic Arts, the video game company, um, and spent almost four years there as the head HRBP for marketing, data, and analytics. And then I returned to New York and worked at Spotify for a few years as their lead HRBP for personalization, which is how you interact with the app. And that was essentially working with engineers, products, and designers. Around that time, uh, January of 2020, I decided just to take a break. And unbeknownst to me, the, a global pandemic was starting. I decided to open up my own consultancy, which then led to... For the last few years, just consulting, a lot of the content that I made resonated so well with people that I was forced to kind of create a store where people could book sessions with me and do everything from like LinkedIn coaching to business uh, business sessions on organization design, workforce modeling. So it all turned into like this free for all of all of the things that I know working in HR, whether or not it's for an individual, an employee, other HR people or leaders bringing me to where I am today. I love that journey, by the way. Like I would ask you to play some music for us if you weren't sitting in an office remotely somewhere. (laughs) You probably wouldn't do it. But as your kind of career progressed, how have you seen, and especially like most recently and, and coming out of a pandemic and things like that, how have you seen the HR and people ops organization and like the role in general? How has that evolved over time too? It really has diverted into two directions. I think that there are still a lot of industries and a lot of companies that want to keep their distance from HR, and that's where HR is far more operational. And so I saw this this kind of new blooming of the a people operations field. And what in many companies, what they're doing is very administrative and very tactical. It's updating paperwork changing names, changing job titles, making sure offers get processed, processing terminations. Uh, Whereas I've seen other industries really embrace the business partner model and by understanding and having people of HR quality who understand businesses and understand what the business is trying to accomplish, you can essentially have a talent consultant at your fingertips. So I've started to see a very, very clear duality of a lot of companies embracing kind of the former generalist model where they're just really not that interested or people saying, you know what, let's give this a shot and actually have HR business partners and let's actually invest into that function. Yep, got it. That makes total sense. So the segue, I guess, here is TikTok. What is the allure? Because there's become all of these niches on TikTok and HR talk is extremely strong and your face is constantly showing up there. Tell me a little bit of like how you a little bit more about how you got into that and what you think like the allure of for HR and and people teams to start like spending more time on on TikTok and almost using TikTok as a place to share knowledge, to vent, (laughs) to whatever they (laughs) might be doing on there. I'd love to kind of hear about the journey and why you think it's working so well on there. So I am not proud of this, but I sort of embrace it as part of my brand that I the very first video I made on TikTok was a stitch where you take what someone else said and respond to it and said, do not listen to this person. They are wrong. And it was a person who was giving salary negotiation advice and had candidates taken that advice that actually would damage your chances within the negotiation process because uh, the advice that she was providing makes you look a little bit more adversarial and has companies be a little bit more detached. So when I saw that, I created, I was so incensed, I created an account so that I could respond to the video and say, do not listen to this person. And when I started to see how much people resonated with that, 
when I understood that all of the information and all of the experience that I had as an HR business partner designing organizations, which means building out strategy to how an organization is going to succeed, designing job family matrices, designing pricing models, working with compensation to determine best pricing, working with managers on how to staff an organization. I have a, a huge amount of knowledge and understanding how managers make hires. So when I started to kind of put the two things together that we were in such a bad job market and that it with TikTok was saturated with just terrible advice from people who were selling digital courses or uh, you know, people saying they were doing resume and LinkedIn reviews for hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. I was like, this is absolutely horrible. So I think a lot of people just resonated with that. And unfortunately, I didn't want my niche to be solely job search, but I think that's where I've developed most of my reputation. But I think the the allure of TikTok is something I enjoy as much as a content creator as I do a consumer of of education from source experts, like the level of information that I got from history, from black history, from the history of Africa, Venezuelan food customs, um, sync architecture, like you, you find experts and you can just consume this content in 30 seconds to a minute and a half. And it's just absolutely astounding. So I think a lot of people uh, really do not understand what HR's function is. And there's a lot of better marketing we need to do as HR professionals. But I think a lot of the allure was getting someone who is just telling the truth about how corporate America works. I wanted to expand on one thing there, which is like as part of that, and and I totally agree. Like I, as someone who, as an elder, elder millennial, who's like only just gotten into TikTok recently myself, like creating content, at least like I've always kind of trolled and scrolled, but that access, it kind of feels like what Twitter was for me really early on. Like this fact that there were these incredible people and all of a sudden you had access to someone who is extremely knowledgeable that you would never be able to be in the same room as. And kind of the TikTok format of it being video, being super consumable, really easy to consume and just being exposed to things that you normally wouldn't find without like deeper research or really seeking it out and being served. I think that's so exciting. What I wanted to ask was you sort of mentioned on building the brand around HR and people. What would your for someone that hasn't explored this yet, that's in an HR people function, what would you say your tips are, your processes or like how could they break in or start creating content or start consuming the right content? Like, what would your tips be for crash course, you know, very quickly on kind of getting into HR talk? So I think I would give two pieces of advice and it would be based on a question. What is your motivation? If you want to build a following very quickly in the idea of establishing yourself as a recognized voice, then copy and paste the best performing content, utilizing all the hot keywords, how to beat the ATS, um, job interviews, how to negotiate the best salary, don't answer the salary question, essentially make content that people absorb and interact the most with. If you're more interested in building a community, I think the my advice would just be, be yourself, be natural, be concise, but you also have to be very, very consistent. One of the things that I learned very quickly was that if you're not posting every day, a few times a day, it becomes very quick to lose a lot of views, to kind of lose engagement. You kind of have to prove yourself again. Yeah, I think kind of two things that you touched on are personally why I like following your account and why I think you have such a following. The first is that as a source of information, you're really worth your salt, um, so to speak. And I think I saw you make a video about this really recently, but there are so many people who have really jumped on this kind of rise of job seekers and all of that content 
becoming so big on TikTok and they're branding themselves as consultants or as people who can really help you and they actually have zero or no credentials at all, whereas you have a lot and you're actually really knowledgeable. But then the second thing that I think is really interesting is that you provide so much information that no one would have access to, even if they did have an in-house HR business partner or somebody in that kind of people ops role. So like salary negotiation, which I see you talk about all the time. That's such a good example. If you have a business partner and you have access to them at work, they'll help you with a lot and they'll help mentor you and they'll really be there for you as a resource, but they definitely won't help you with negotiating your salary as you go into your next role. So I think you just give kind of this behind the scenes access to people that they wouldn't have unless they were, you know, hiring a consultant to help them with things like this full time. And thank you. And that's really what I want to be realizing and understanding the privilege that I've had in the companies and organizations of the the nature of the position that I have and the authority that I've had. I like to consider myself a strategy guide, like utilizing a video game reference. This is how it works. This is internally how it works. All these behind the scenes things And when one company does it, you can guarantee a thousand other companies do it because no one is coming up with anything innovative. Everyone just copies what another company does that's similar in size. And just by making sure that that information feels more public and accessible is really where I like to focus a lot of my time. So I'm glad that that's coming through. Oh, it absolutely is. So I think that actually is a really good segue into my next question. So in this industry that really has no rule book and not often that much consistency where Things vary so much between companies and everybody kind of has a different methodology depending on who they are and what they do and where they're at. What do you think is kind of a big thing, if you can name one, that HR and people teams have been getting wrong, especially in the last couple of years as the climate has moved towards these remote and hybrid environments that are so common now? I think there's two. One is compensation. HR people and compensation people are just as frustrated as employees because it is very, very standard that when you make a jump to a new company, you are going to get, and it's very expected to get a nice sizable increase even for a lateral move. There's no company that has funded the ability to do that in-house. And instead, companies essentially take a calculated risk to say, okay, um, you know, we can do as much as we can, but we're bound by, you know, this meager allotment that's awarded to us by the board. And the best example I can use is, you know, we're, we're asked to make food for 200 people, but given ingredients for 50, um, you know, so it's the best that we can do. But uh, there's also at the same time, there's only so much HR can do. Like we can tell the board, we can tell the, the executive team, this is how much compensation we need. This is what the market would cost. This is what it will cost to retain. This is what it costs to sort of reward and recognize as well as to up-level and upskill, and we're very likely not going to get it. I've yet to see a company that can really keep up with the market as it relates to compensation. The other thing that I think is the biggest miss, and I'm starting to see a lot of companies move towards it, I'm a huge proponent for it, is much better data and analytics by really giving HR resources, technology, data, and analytic resources is game-changing. Yeah, I think the the compensation piece is something that I really notice because I see all the time now on TikTok, somebody will make a video where they're like, I just changed jobs and I'm earning 2.5 times as much as I was in my previous role. And obviously that's amazing and good for them. But what's kind of missed there is that that shouldn't be happening because if we had better research about compensation and there was more consistency across the board, then we one wouldn't have to be fighting so much for certain salaries. And two, you wouldn't have this like insane inconsistency among people doing the same job at different companies. 
as a hiring manager too, like I've struggled with that of trying to kind of confer with teams and finding people and being someone that's, you know, very pro remote and hiring, having, you know, over the past few years, hire teams that are all over the place. There's incredible discrepancies, not only in skill set and, and resume, but cost of living and things like that. And it's just been a major challenge. And I think that frustration is felt throughout the business, unfortunately, between the HR team, between the hiring managers, between the candidates, and now with more salary transparency too, like regulation being passed to really show salary ranges, thank God, finally, that there's extreme disparity and like issues there. And I, I think that's I'm happy you called that out because I still don't think there's solutions. I think we're getting towards solutions, but I think we're still far off. And I think, unfortunately, the spot that we are is sort of the best example I can think of is picking up the log and seeing all the bugs we've exposed it. <laughs> so we, we've seen it now. We understand right. it, which I think is at least the first step. But absolutely agree. On that kind of note of like frustration and things like that, in the world that we've kind of lived in and survived over the past few years, people no matter where they're working or how they're working feel, and I feel especially HR teams in kind of this layoff environment that we've been in are feeling super burnout, oftentimes underappreciated. Oftentimes the people in HR teams are the first to go. I've heard plenty of horror stories of where these teams are asked to execute a layoff and then are laid off themselves, which is not a laughing matter, but it's just such a ridiculous premise. So with people feeling burnout and underappreciated, could you talk a little bit and, and people thinking about what's next in their career? Like, what are the pros and cons of working in-house in a team versus kind of doing what you were doing for a while, which is like becoming a freelancer or a consultant or a contractor and finding paths for that? What are the pros and cons of each, I think, of like in-house versus consultant? So I thank the universe and express gratitude on a regular basis that I was not full-time employed during the pandemic. I've had several... HR business partner, professional friends, colleagues, and acquaintances leave HR for good, um, that they would never return to HR because every day was a fight. What was the newest law about relocation? What was the newest law about compensation? Who was freaking out now? What employee had COVID? What employee um, didn't want to get a shot? And leaders were coming to HR saying, what's going on with the employee population? How do we retain them? We can't afford it. Like, what do we do? We're going to have to reduce all the staff. Managers were coming to HR saying, hey, I'm worried about my team. I'm worried, you know, staying up until midnight on Slack. Employees were coming to HR saying, what are we doing? What's happening with this? I was so grateful that I was not full-time employed and that I was a consultant because it allowed me to have a very natural space. I would say the biggest pros to being a consultant and some of the things that I miss the most are the flexibility of my own time. Um, the freedom of my own time was amazing. The ability to set my rates to take as much or little workload as possible. One of the best parts of consulting was the fun companies I got to work with that I never in a million years would have had exposure to. I did a three month consultancy with a French company that made little silver spoons, um, which I was like, I have never ever heard of this as a business concept. The biggest downside, especially in the United States is lack of healthcare. I learned very quickly in the hard way with one emergency room visit that essentially wiped out my savings in one night just because I did not have healthcare. And it was, you know, luckily everything, not knock on wood, was fine. But when I came back like a week later and realized that everything I had earned that I had to pay taxes on because you don't get the payroll taxes on, had to go into um, paying a hospital for an 18 hour emergency room stay, that was like the biggest downside. The other big downside I would say is you have to, if you don't have a partner that handles marketing yourself. Like I had to learn how to market myself. I had to learn how to 
be a salesperson. Luckily, a lot of my work was done through referral, which I think made my job much easier. But that was an element that was very awkward and uncomfortable to say that, oh, hey, you know, I'm, I'm available to kind of do these things and to kind of make a website and sort of show off and pitch myself. Those were sort of the downsides to it. So I think I would go back to it in a few more years um, because the flexibility and the freedom was amazing, but better prepared as it relates to one, making sure that I have a healthcare plan and two, hiring someone to do more of the hunter gathering elements. I think that's a big call out in the shift that we've seen, like myself across industries, uh, people moving to hopeful roles in, in freelancing, consulting, et cetera, whether it's they're in design or they're in writing or whatever it might be, is that sales and kind of marketing of yourself piece like that doesn't come naturally to so many people and people don't realize it until they've have to do it right until they've realized it. It's like, I'm so marketable. I know my skills, but how do I actually go out there and find people? And I know that that's a real struggle. Not everyone can be a TikTok celebrity like you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just teasing. But yeah, I think that's a really great call out. And so thanks for sharing that, I think. But I do think, do you think we'll see a shift of people, you know, tacking on to the kind of burnout piece of people looking for more of that flexibility? And do you think there will be more roles for that? Do you think companies are still hesitant to outsource that stuff or... How do you see that kind of playing out? I've actually seen the reverse. And one of the things that I'm a supporter of provided, again, you know, it's based on your sanity and work-life balance, but there's a lot of people who do part-time consultant work. And because they're remote, they're able to do it without impacting their kind of nine to five. And I found a lot of people enjoy that because they get to wear two hats. They get to kind of have an additional um, income. What I've actually seen is a lot of companies be far more open-minded to the idea of, contract freelance or temporary work because they have the whole world now as a potential talent pipeline. So I think it's actually something that will continue to grow, especially given the the rising healthcare costs and the fact that companies are now obviously demonstrating a great deal of focus on full-time headcount and how expensive that is. So I think there's just going to be, I think the opportunity will continue to grow. I like that you kind of brought up the pitfalls of freelancing and consulting, because I think it's a world that is so romanticized, like when you think about what it means to do that, it's like, I have so much more free time, I'm making so much more money, I'm just sitting around and clients are coming to me, but you know, that's not the reality. You're not working in-house for a larger conglomerate, but instead you're trying to build your own business. And with that comes, as you were saying, marketing yourself and making your website. And it's like a constant fight to keep that going, as opposed to just kind of being able to sit and kick, you know, when you're in-house working for another company. And yeah, the healthcare piece too. It's, yeah, there's definitely pros and cons to both, but I'm glad that people, especially in the pandemic, have started to explore that option because having freelance in the past myself, I think it can be really empowering to spend a lot of your career working for someone else and then to kind of try out what it's like to build your own business and kind of dip your toes into that pond. But freelancing and consulting is not as approachable or not as feasible when you're, you know, at the start of your career and you're just kind of building your skill set and making a name for yourself. So for people who are younger HR folks and um, professionals who are just starting out, especially in this kind of era when they're hearing a lot of negative press about HR and how difficult the business is and how much burnout is happening. What advice do you have 
for those people who are really entering this industry at honestly a pretty difficult time. One of the benefits to it is I think right now we're all feeling a little bit burnt out. But when I look back, I'm a little bit grateful because it was such a time of growth and learning. Like to be part of a monumental element of history is something I kind of feel happy I got to experience. The one thing I tell HR hopefuls who feel very afraid or people that are very new to HR is that you do not have to work in these front facing roles that have to deal with all of this. There are so many roles and disciplines within HR that are far calmer. And I won't say their job is easier, but they're not dealing with the same levels of stress on the day to day business side. So I think everyone is obviously very familiar with recruiters and like the HR business partner and HR managers, um, because those are the two roles that they usually get exposed to. But there are people within training within HR systems, within people in analytics, benefits, compensation, who are, uh, you, you know, work just as hard, but are not dealing with the level of intense people issues at all times that either recruiters or HR business partners are dealing with. So there's a lot of very great disciplines that pay well, that can be just as fun and, and exciting, but without necessarily all of the stress that comes with it. On the flip side of that, I'm just thinking through this. I see this as so much of kind of what's being talked about kind of in the world right now is is the unfortunate kind of space we're in where for job seekers where layoffs have almost become the norm and we talked about this on like our last episode of this podcast was about how it almost seems like at least at the business level that there's a case to be made for just looking for trimming the fat looking for layoffs looking for cutting teams and there's been so many different situations that you've read about mostly because of how open people are on social now now that LinkedIn has become much more, you know, over the past few years of like an open social channel where people are actually sharing their thoughts and their emotions and not necessarily just posting about their latest achievement or things like that. We're seeing a lot more of people opening up about the struggles that they're having with being laid off and what's happened. And, and we've seen so many different situations, right? We've seen everything from the Googles of the world where it feels like it's almost algorithmic in a way and there's no like sense to who's been laid off and how based on tenure we've seen people that are been at companies for 15 years and people that have been companies at six for six months etc so it's been all over the place but it, it is the the big topic right now and you know we asked you for advice on hr professionals but how about job seekers in general right now that have fallen victim to these tech layoffs like what what advice do you have for people of one i would say processing that and then moving to what's next, understanding where the world is today. What are the things that you, you feel like you're you're hearing about and, and you're having conversations about? Sure. And so I, I, I've addressed and made content about this and I've had a few people reach out and kind of schedule one on one sessions with me about it and kind of talk through it. Um, one of the things that I always encourage is whether or not you don't get a job you really want or you've gotten laid off or you've gotten terminated is a very, very impactful and emotional um, thing that you have to process. And there's no way to kind of skip it. Uh, you know, you, you just have to process it. Now, I'll say you, you're allowed to sit with your feelings. You're allowed to. Uh, utilize whatever device that you want in order to to process it because those process those feelings are real and, and there's going to be a lot of very well intentioned people saying well you know um, they you know they, they missed out or you know it, it's it's not meant for you it's meant for the next one and but it it doesn't address the fact that you feel upset and shaken and sad and especially I think a lot of us and in, in, in the United States especially have our identities very attached to our jobs. Um, so the first thing that I always encourage is the is the idea of being compassionate with yourself and to understand and process your emotions and to take the time that you need. 
Um, what the biggest risk I found, especially with a lot of people in tech, was that you know tech became tech became like the sexiest industry, and all of these TikTok creators and Twitter creators and people with two years of experience in project project management were like, here's a day in the life of being a six figure project manager at Google, and here's my free food, and here's me going on a Target run. Um, tech is a very well paying industry, and it has become publicly so. It, while it's not the only one, it's one of the ones that have been the best advertised. And one of the biggest things that I've started to see is a very difficult acceptance from people who worked at these companies saying, um, I was made, uh, so I had a few people that reached out saying, I used to work at Google, I worked there for three years, I've been made several offers, but I'm getting lowballed in every offer. How do I negotiate? I'm like, you're not getting lowballed. You're just not gonna <laughs> get the same salary that you were used to. It's just not Google. <laughs> Netflix is well known as one of the, the best paying companies in the United States. A lot of companies will not recruit people from Netflix because they know that they cannot match the salaries. But managing your expectations, there's great opportunities you can find. You can find very, very well paying roles that offer opportunity for growth and advancement. But if you're going to hold off for a similar paying role that you used to get working at one of these Silicon Valley tech companies or startups, then you're going to potentially get very disappointed. Do you have thoughts on other industries that would maybe be attractive to people who fell victim to the tech layoffs that would have some of the benefits that people like about tech, you know, like the flexibility and the perks and the benefits and whatnot that maybe won't be able to match the salary, but just, you know, maybe some like unsung heroes that people don't really think about, but should maybe look into. It's hard industry wise, because I think from when you look at an industry, you'll always have really good employers and kind of the not so great ones. What I usually tell people is if you enjoy the tech benefit, if you like working at a company and enjoy the benefits that a large tech company offers, you can find very similar ones in similar size companies that do similar types of things. In most cases, like large CPG companies, you know, the basic household names. Working in pharma is one of the best ways to make money. I mean, being legalized drug dealers <laughs> is, is a phenomenal way to get all of those benefits. What I also tell people is to follow the money where the United States spends an absorbent amount of money on the military. So a lot of people get very surprised at how much they could earn working in the military space and not necessarily working for the armed forces, but working for companies that support the armed forces working like there's a I have a very good friend of mine who is a compensation manager and she makes like one and a half times what I do because she works at an insurance firm that supports only the military. So like if you work in similar size industries or companies that command a lot of revenue, it's very, very possible to find roles and have an experience that's similar. The other thing that I tell people is like the hidden quality is work in industries that place a very high value on the job that you do. So obviously one of the reasons why a lot of tech people made so much money is because these tech companies needed tech people. That was their their product. But if you look at people who worked in marketing for these tech companies, they weren't making quite as much. It's the flip side for pharma or CPG. You know, you need good brand and marketing people, but no one's coming to Pfizer for their tech stack. Um, you know, and no one's going to Coca-Cola to say, how are you changing the personalization algorithms? So understanding what industries place the highest value on the role that you do is one of the biggest secrets to compensation that not a lot of people know about. This just made me think of something, and I, I might stumble through the question a little bit because it's kind of coming to mind and, and, and I'm saying it as I'm thinking through it, but I was thinking back to those kind of day in the life videos you were talking about. And so much of the content that's being created these days is created for a little bit of that shock value, right? It's created for the algorithm. And I'm always surprised I am a 
one of my colleagues told me about LinkedIn lunatics on Reddit. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I sadly read, like, you know, I, I, it always pops up and it's perfect, right? It's like so telling of, you know, today. And those videos on TikTok make me think the same thing, right? Like I, I actually saw a series of two videos. It was a woman had done one of those day in the lives at, at Google here in LA at the Howard Hughes building talking about how amazing the building is and the conference rooms are so cool. And here's what I ate. And it's nothing about her job, right? It's nothing about what she's doing <laughs> throughout the day. It's all the perks of working at Google. And then that was followed up with her getting an email that she was laid off, you know, a few weeks later. And that video culminates in her talking about how she's processing that and how sad it was and how shocking it was. And then it ends with her saying, but I have a Disneyland membership and I went to Disneyland and here's all the things <laughs> that I ate at Disneyland. You know what I mean? It's like that ridiculous. And I guess what I'm trying to get to is like, there's like kind of this shock factor. It's like doing this work for the algorithm. Like, how do we like cut through that? Because it scares me. It worries me for people entering the workforce of like trying to discern like what's real, what expectations are. That piece that you said of like people expecting going getting jobs in tech at Google's and Meta's and things like that because they're getting these big salaries because it might be easier to kind of work remote and get access to perks and benefits and things like that. How do you think this is like changing the world for the expectations of like work moving forward, like the future of work? So I think one of the biggest things that I saw a lot of companies do, and I tried to warn people in the middle of 2021, um, being so well connected and working in Fang adjacent, so working at Spotify, having connections at like Uber and Twitter and Google and whatnot, was those day in the life of started to become watched by executives and by team leads. And a lot of the companies started to make policies on very strict social media that if you were going to be a content creator, you could no longer mention the company that you work for. So I think we're going to continue to see a shift of that. Of um, I've seen a lot of companies be very open-minded to the idea that you know the people want to create content, great, but with no association whatsoever with the company, and you cannot utilize your company as a way to even potentially try to sell services. One of the biggest things that I try to tell people, and I was so proud because I was tagged in a video today, is to do research on the people that tell you these stories. I was tagged in three videos uh, over the course of the last few weeks, hundreds of times, people emailing me, can you please help this person out? Can you please help? And it was, she recorded a video of her being laid off. Upon doing a minute and a half of research, it was very clear that she was not laid off. Um, her LinkedIn profile showed her as a freelancer. And by doing you know a quick look at her Instagram, the person that laid her off was her best friend. It was all done to create a story to elicit that that sort of view, you know, to kind of make a comedy skit. So one of the things that I constantly tell people, I'm not going to be able to answer every one of your questions, but just be informed. If someone is giving you job search advice and they use absolute language like never ask this one thing or ask this one thing or I've gotten every job I've ever applied to by doing this one thing that's a red flag. Also check their LinkedIn. And if they do not have extensive experience in hiring, meaning HR, recruiting, or as a hiring manager, then what credibility and authority do they have as those are the three people that impact those decisions to give advice? And certainly someone can say, here was my experience as an interviewee. This is what I said. This is what I think worked. But if you weren't in the decision room, then you do not know. And so someone actually tagged me because she said that someone was trying to make content designed to help teachers move from teaching to six-figure jobs in tech. And she made a comment saying, hey, just curious, what experience do you have in hiring uh, for this advice? And I saw one of your products and she was blocked. And so this person made a video thanking me saying, I would have never thought to ask this. I would have just accepted it at, at their word. So my biggest piece of advice to everyone, especially newer workforces that are coming in, 
is credibility. Double check resources and do your research before you take any advice and triple that before you even think about paying for it. Yeah, I'm shocked at there's just been this huge influx of people that don't have credentials that have become career coaches and life coaches. And because you can create content and, and quickly get views and you can be whoever you want to be, right? You can be whoever you want to be on TikTok. So yeah, that's, I'm glad you called that out because I think, I think more and more people need to be aware of that and be able to kind of see through that better. I think too many people are taking it at face value right now. And that's super troubling. All right. Well, to shift gears, you know, I want to ask you, this is something we ask everyone on the podcast. And, you know, we talk a lot about move to hybrid and remote work and supporting people back in office and being distributed. But what is your favorite way to work? And on top of that, do you have any predictions about how you see work culture continuing to change kind of over the next one, five, 10 years, even one year? I just can't believe I feel like I was saying this, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but I was saying this in a, an earlier conversation with someone that it feels like with, I think, kind of TikTok, AI, you know, especially chat GPT now, and Apple's getting ready to come out with their VR, AR headset. I feel like 2023 is one of the first like big technological shift years that we've had in probably the past decade. You know, we had NFTs and cryptos and things like that. And when we saw where that went, but I feel like this is a big year for changing how we work, people using leveraging chat GPT, people leveraging kind of that idea of AR, VR, putting on a mask, whatever it might be, you know, creating a new version of themselves. So I feel like even just in the next one year, we're going to see such a big change. But anyway, my tangent aside, tell us a little bit about how you like to work now and where you see work culture kind of shifting over the next few years? My thought process is the most successful teams that I, I was doing a lot of consulting with, and I've been very clear in my content, is the most success you're going to have is if it's democratic. I think employees have every right to voice an opinion that is heard. Ultimately, of course, it's up to the executives, but I think they do a disservice by not listening to their employees. Um, and certain I found that many employees were not fans of 100% full remote and liked the idea of coming to the office once a quarter, once a week, once every whatever cadence um, and were, were open to it. What I also started to see was a lot of studies, and I agreed with this, that showed that um, people who were in the workforce longer did not suffer from the same things that uh, people who were a little bit younger in the workforce did as it related to not getting direct feedback and coaching and mentorship and interactions that tended just to be natural ways for us to grow. When you make a small mistake and someone pulls you aside in a meeting, talking to someone who is in the coffee room and kind of just learning something. Um, so I've actually started to see companies move a little bit, shifting more towards people who are a little bit younger in their career are encouraged to come to the office a little bit more. And people who are more senior in the career are encouraged to come to the office to be there for them, but not nearly with the same level of responsibility. What's a little bit entertaining is I, of course, love being fully remote. It has been an absolute pleasure. I have had to come to the office this week. I was filled with anxiety for two days to such a degree where I was like, maybe if I take a heart attack this morning, um, you know, I could just buy the and But what I found was that within 20 minutes and getting on the train, I felt really happy. I felt excited when I came into the office and started seeing people that I either have never met because I only know them on the phone or I met once when I worked here in November, being around an office space and not in my apartment with the company of my one cat 
was actually has been very, very delightful. So I think my personal preference is I like being primarily remote with the option to do hybrid, but I don't think I could ever go back to like a full-time five-day-a-week office setting. We're just so used to not doing it, but I have exactly the same thing when we have team on-sites and we all kind of congregate in the office in New York. I always have so much social anxiety leading up to it. I'm like, how am I going to talk to all these people? And then it ends up being so much fun and it's really great to kind of be there with everyone. So yeah, it's funny that we've kind of become so accustomed to this new way when we used to go into the office every single day and talk to probably 30 people over the course of eight hours. Yeah, I think having the flexibility and like being able to do both the way that you want to do both is, you know, at least for me, that's the best. Like there's huge pros of being home and being, you know, having access to my kids whenever I want and being able to cook my own lunch and, and stuff like that. But I also love meeting Veronica at the different WeWorks around L.A. and and being able to like actually get on a whiteboard and meet people in person like there, it's just a different kind of overall experience. So that's really great. And then I just wanted to put you one more time on like that. Do you see there being any kind of big shifts based on technology or where we, I mean, this has already been, you know, COVID was a major shift for us. It's super accelerated the idea of remote with technology and, and even just thinking about TikTok and all that, like, do you see other things? Do you have any predictions for what else is going to change over the next few years? One of the things that I think will change, and I've already started to see a change, and I think the pandemic kind of jump-started it, was essentially a different understanding of what an employment contract is. I think a lot of people say I'm very pro-company, and I like to just consider myself very fair to both sides. I am an employee with my own best interests at heart, and as someone who works for a company, I am a representative of that company who has taken mind their interests. And so I see a lot of people that are like, hey, you know, um, how can companies require us to give two weeks notice, but they can fire us on the spot or, you know, companies can rescind a job offer and that, you know, it should be fair. And I'm like, well, you can resign at any time and you can leave at any time. And the company's not actively looking for your replacement the same way you're potentially actively looking for another role. The level of offers that were rescinded uh, were probably far less from employees who got a much better offer because we were in one of the best job markets ever and people were entertaining three to four companies at once. Like the horror stories I heard from managers, like we we were ready to onboard you. We we brought the team and we flew the team in from San Francisco to New York to, to get everything ready and you're telling us the day before. So all of which and understanding completely both sides, um, I just want there to be a, a very more informed contract between employees and employers. And that's what I think will come forward, that there should not be an implied sense of loyalty uh, to a company, especially because a company is just brick and mortar and legal code versus, hey, while I am an employee, I can do my best. I can enjoy my job. I can enjoy my coworkers. I can learn and develop. But there will be a point where I will no longer be here, whether or not it's because I'm ready to go or, or because you as a company feel like it's time for me to go. And it, I shouldn't necessarily take that as a huge personal thing, just like a manager shouldn't take it personal if it's my time to leave. Um, and I think the idea of just returning it to do a business transactional relationship and not into a life or death identity is attached to this is what I am very hopeful to see in the near future. Yeah, I was going to say that identity piece. I think like we've made a shift out of that like hustle culture space. And I think more and more people will find their identity as themselves and their skill set. And they'll be the people that go and build a brand around that and build tools around that and, and more work for themselves. And they'll be the people that just take that to the next job, you know, and it's not work doesn't have to be family. It's just work, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
and you can like your coworkers and be friends with them and you can be loyal to people and you can have managers that'll do you know what's right for you and people that may not do what's right for you but just putting in some distance and some boundaries between you and the company that you work for i think it's just going to be a very healthy thing for everyone totally great thanks that's awesome well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Dan. It was great to have you as always. And tell us where our audience can find you if they'd like to learn more about you and what you do. Plug your links, please. <laughs> <laughs> Time for a shameless plug. <laughs> so first, thank you very, very much. Um, before I plug myself, I'd like to plug you. I absolutely love your company. I love what you're doing. The supplies that I was sent have helped set up a, a wonderful work from home setup. Um, I have plugged your resources to a few of uh, contacts that I have because I think everything that you're doing is great and is really just on time with the market demand. Uh, thank you very much for having me. So I could be found on Dan from HR on most social media. There is a danfromhr.com in process that is launching sometime in April that will have a lot of the content in a much more centralized spot. Awesome. Well, thanks so much again. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this valuable, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please consider leaving us a rating or review. We'd really appreciate it. Work Everywhere is presented by Allware, the work enablement solution that provides everything you need to work from anywhere. Companies from startups to enterprises save on time and cost by trusting Allware with employee provisioning, procurement, logistics, and asset management. Learn more at allware.co.